like to welcome everyone to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. And uh, I would like to ask the Lord's assistance in prayer. And as I pray, I want you to please engage your heart in prayer. Uh, these sermons are very difficult to preach. They're complex, and sometimes I'm unsure of some of the things I say. Not because I have doubt in them, it's because they're hard to understand. The ammunition is very powerful, but sometimes you put in a gun that's old and rickety, and sometimes you get a misfire. So, just have mercy upon me, and so if you would, join with me in praying to the Lord. <clears throat> Father, we ask now that your spirit be with your people. As you have shown us in your word that you walk among your churches, and you love them, and you protect us. And we have your seal upon us, those who have loved Christ and received him, rest upon his atoning work. We pray, Lord, that the gospel be preached with power, and those that need it might have that great power rest upon them. The power to change the heart. The power to release them from the power of sin. The love of sin. The addiction to sin. We ask, Lord, that your people be released from them, translated into the domain of your own Son, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. So, Father, may these words ring true to your people and to the sinners who have come to hear that those who do not believe now might become as we are, servants of the Most High God. So, Father, please bless the attempts to preach, and please open the ears of those who need to hear. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen. Amen. Now we left off in chapter 9. We looked at the first half of this chapter. And we wanted to establish the doctrine that's being taught here. And the doctrine that we taught in the first half of this chapter is very similar to the second half. And so I would like to repeat that so that you'll know what you want to take home. This is what I want you to learn. Satan is at work in this world. He wants to lead astray as many people as he is able to lead astray. He wants to lead as many souls as he possibly can to ultimate destruction, to their eternal doom. That's his goal. That's what he wants to do. He will do all that he is able to do. But what I want you to understand now that once he does what he's able to do. He is only going to do what God permits him to do. And we must see those boundaries. We must see those areas in which we say, God has chained the devil. God has put restrictions upon him. And Luther said, the devil is God's devil. And Beale said, he, the devil, is a slave to providence. The work that God has toward us is good. So, in a brief review of what we've done so far, and we're going to briefly look at the two other visions we've looked at. We saw Christ walk among his church. The first vision had to do with the church on earth. He walks among us here. He's given us the directions of how he wants us to endure into the end, giving us promises. The second vision was in God's throne, where the seven seals were opened by Christ. And so we have a setting. The first one, the setting is in the church. The second vision, the setting is before the throne of God. Now the third vision, which is what we're looking at now, 
the trumpets, the seven trumpets that come out of the seven seals opened by Christ in the second vision. In this vision, the setting is this, those who dwell on the earth. And you may say, well, that's all of us, is it not? No, we want to distinguish between those who dwell on the earth and those who dwell here as sojourners. We are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. And then there are those who dwell upon the earth. And this is the setting of this particular vision. The world of unbelievers will endure the seven trumpets. The truth is now going to be revealed to them. It will be proclaimed to them by the trumpet of the gospel, by the trumpet of God, by his angels, by those who are his servants. But those who dwell upon the earth will endure and hear, but they will reject and unbelieve. So well, that's an awful message, is it not? Well, let's proclaim the gospel and see who hears. Amen. God has his way, and he cannot be thwarted nor defeated. Now, we've already seen the four first trumpets. In very similar fashion to the first four seals, they were grouped together. The first four seals, remember, were the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, the first four trumpets, likewise, brought up, it told us how wars would come. The last three seals were dealt with individually, just like the last three trumpets. They will be given in form of a woe. And so the fifth trumpet is the first woe. The sixth trumpet is the second woe. And then the seventh trumpet is the third woe. And so we are dealing with the sixth trumpet this morning, the second woe. I would like to also remind you how that the Apostle Paul addresses this type of topic in Ephesians, where we're going to look at the demonic influence in this world but how God is still in control. We can read in Ephesians chapter 5, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is what we're dealing with. Now, we cannot see them with our eyes, but we can understand them with our hearts and our minds, and we can believe what God has told us about that. So with that, let's begin our new material. Go to chapter 9, and we'll begin reading with verse number 12. Verse number 12. The first woe is past, and the two there, there are two woes still to come. Now, as I said, the first vision was Christ in his church. The second vision was Christ taking the seals from the throne, or in the throne of God. And today we are still in the midst of of the third vision. And when it comes to these woes, we must remember what happened last week, did we not? Last week, an angel was observed falling from heaven, and God gave a key to this fallen angel, and he was able to open a bottomless pit, and we said that this is the devil. And God saw angel the Satan fall, and just because he has a key, to a bottomless pit doesn't mean that this key opens everything. It only opens what it's designed to open. And when he opened that pit, smoke came out, blotting out the light of the sun. And those that dwell on the earth could not see the truth because he was able to blind the minds of them that believed not. And out of the smoke 
became locusts. And you say, well, this is horrific. This is awful. But remember, this is what John sees in an apocalyptic vision. And these locusts, they had heads and they had tails. They were uh, awful to describe. They had much detail about them. But we came to the conclusion that the heads of these locusts had great swelling things that they were able to speak. They were the leaders of this world. And their tails, that's where their real power was. Because the tails were the teachers of the world of false prophets, producing the darkness that the world lives in. And so because of the teaching of false doctrine, and because of the ability of the evil leaders of the world to use that as a stepping stone to rule this world in darkness, there is now a warfare going on. A, war a warfare between good and evil, between Satan and God, and between us and the world. Between us and the devil. Verse number 2. And that is verse number um, 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. And I'm going to read the next verse because it's the same sentence. Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now let's make sure we understand the characters that are doing, that are going and having the action here. There is an angel that has a trumpet. This is a good angel. This is an angel that is going to be spoken to from a voice from the altar of, the, of gold, which is actually the incense of altar. That's the altar that has the prayers offered up to God. It'll come from between the four horns. That is each corner where a horn is positioned on it. That's one character. But it, re, it talks of four other angels that are bound at the river Euphrates. Now, it doesn't say they're good or bad, but we will discover in the context of this chapter that these are bad angels. These are angels that are being restricted from doing what they would do, and that would be to wreak havoc upon this world. But they are going to be released. It is interesting to see that the sixth angel is truly a messenger of God. He has been given a message. This message comes from the midst of the four horns on the golden altar. Now, this particular altar is covered in gold. If you remember, this is a picture of the sanctuary of the tabernacle and even in the temple. But these are images of things that are in heaven. These are images of things that God, in Christ, Christ offering up our prayers. And now consider this. If this vision, this image that is being seen, that the voice coming from the altar of incense, these are answers to our prayers. God is answering our prayers. Now, the horns that are on the altar. Many times people say, well, why, why would an altar have horns? Well, horns are a common symbol of power, of leadership. Many times the scriptures will talk about the horns that are representative kings of nations. It's power. It's authority. But here we see Christ offering up our prayers. There is authority and there is power in God's prayers when he answers them to us. When he actually has an angel dispatched to answer our prayers. And so what is the answer to our prayer? That evil angels be released well, there is a strange answer to prayer, is it not? A strange answer indeed. But we have to understand that God has his way in all things. 
in all things. We have to trust God for this. Why? Because God is glorified in the trust of his people. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. This is the way we serve God. We serve God by trusting him. So the command to release these four angels that are bound in the river Euphrates. This is a, an interesting idea. Because many times today people will look at this and say, Euphrates River. Hmm. Maybe the Chinese are going to come across and attack Europe. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe there are 200 million troops there that are going to invade Europe. Well, I would suggest we do this instead of going in that direction. Instead of saying these are the Chinese, let's take a look at what the scripture says about the river Euphrates instead. The river Euphrates is a boundary that was given to Abraham when God said, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to go from Egypt, that river, the Nile, all the way to that other river, Euphrates. Everything between the Nile and the Euphrates, I give to you. So, if that is the boundary given to the children of Israel, or shall we say, the seed of Abraham, what's it mean if God should release four evil angels to cross the boundary? Now, I'm not going to tell you what it means. You just sit there for a few minutes and think about that. God has given permission to four evil angels to cross the boundary into Abraham's territory. Do you see now that we're dealing with spiritual powers of wickedness? And God is now saying, it is time. It is time that we do something. It is time for God's people to live the way the Lord Jesus Christ did. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered. He had dealings directly with Satan. He was buffeted by Satan. He was buffeted by this world. He was lied to. He was beaten upon. He was even sacrificed and killed. Do you think we are not going to go through that with our lives? God died for us. But if we should die in the service of God, is that so bad? And sometimes we would think to ourselves, well, that would be the worst. Really? I think sometimes people go through a lot worse than dying. I think sometimes people serve God in, in, in ways where God says, Have you considered my servant Job, who suffered so much? But God says, That's the man who lives by faith. I love that man. And today we are his people. And we're going to be in spiritual combat. Spiritual combat. God has allowed evil to cross into the boundary of the kingdom of God for the purpose of warfare, for the purpose of combat. Verse number 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, for the day, for the month, and for the year were released to kill a third of mankind. How scary is that? So we see here that God has bound these angels. Interesting words, is it not? God has bound them. God is always in control. Always in control. We had a wonderful lesson today from the book of Haggai from our brother. And it had to do with this type of power that God has. Next time when you come, come at 10 o'clock. I'm telling you, it's going to be a blessing to you. These angels were bound 
because they had been prepared by God for a reason. They were down right to the hour. Notice it didn't go like this. They were given a purpose where God says, to the year, to the month, to the day, to the hour. But instead, he goes from the hour to the day, to the month, to the, to the year. God has it down to the micro nanosecond, trust me, even smaller than that. God controls all these things. But what he is emphasizing here is that there is a purpose and a reason, and God has it all down, all of it. He knows what he's doing. He has prepared these things, not only for the nations and not only for the governments, not only for families, but for the individual, for every single one of us. Our salvation has been tailor-made for every single one of us. God knows you. You're much more valuable than many, many sparrows. He not only knows the hairs of your head, he knows every single atom about you. God is prepared for all of us. Now these angels are there, bound, restricted, kept from doing what they want to do. No doubt they've been there chomping at the bit, ready to deal their, their evil and to, to do their things, to feed upon the great desires of the human race, to make them go away from God. Now we may say, well, why does God allow that? Because God, in His power, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to explain this more in my application later on, but God even uses sin to accomplish his purposes. And that may sound strange to many people. But he does. God has power. He has that. How are these angels bound there? Does anyone have any idea? Does God use ropes? Does he use chains? Does he use these type of restrictions? How does he do it? Does God give them, if he says release them, do they now have free reign to do anything? I can remember when I was a young boy, I saw this dog that was really fierce. And uh, I have just vague memories of it, but I do remember this, that the dog was chained up. And I knew where the chain was. I knew how long that chain was. I didn't even have to see the chain. I knew how far the chain allowed the dog to go. Because that dog had patted down every blade of grass from where that stake was put into the ground by that doghouse. I could look at the grass and say, that dog can't go beyond that line because he'd beaten down every blade of grass. Now, what can these locusts do? What can these animals do? These spiritual demons do? What can they do? They are not permitted to eat the grass, but only those who do not have the seal of God. We can see them because we know what is going on in this world. All you have to do is see where the grass has been beaten down to nothing. And that is where Satan is loose to do what God allows him to do. God will allow his people to endure many things, but they will never lose their souls. As a matter of fact, we have been given the truth to be brave in the face of anything because God has said they cannot touch your soul. Just like he told Job. You can do this. But his life is in my hands, not yours. This is the key to understanding. Not just the events. But that God says they can only go as far as I say they can go. They can only do that. It is interesting here that we see that they've been given the right to kill a third of mankind, is it not? Remember what happened in the four horses, the apocalypse, 
when death came, when the pale horse, when death and hell was on the pale horse, they were given the authority to kill a fourth of the earth. And here we see that these creatures, these horses, we'll call them war horses. After we get to there, you'll be quite a, a, a description of them. But these war horses carrying the riders have the authority to kill one-third. Well, we can see that there's an escalation going on here. Perhaps the number is greater, a third rather than a fourth, because I guess doing the math, we have to subtract us. They're not allowed to kill us. But I do know that the people that are unbelievers, well, let's put it this way, war will kill people. Because there's a lot of war going on here. There's a lot of war going on. James tells us what war is all about. James tells us this. From whence comes war and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Now you may say, well, that sounds like people that are just squabbling in the church. People that have war with each other. Well, that's true. That is exactly what the context is about. However, the same thing that causes a war between an individual causes war between nations, mm -hmm. causes war between a man and God, and it also causes a war with a man him and himself. The scripture tells us that men are taken captive by Satan at his will because they oppose themselves in denying the truth. So what we have here is war, war of being incited or being encouraged by the powers of darkness to be at war with everyone, with themselves, with each other, with other nations. And so we'll see that this is going to bring war everywhere, on every level. Verse number 16, the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard the number. Now that's a number, isn't it? Sometimes it's like, uh, I, I love this joke. I, I, I know it's corny, but it had to do with, um, you know, the one of our former presidents, you know, not being very smart. And someone told him <laughs> they were, uh, there were two Brazilian soldiers killed someplace. And he said, wow, how many is a, how many is a Brazilian? Okay. And so when I read a number like this, I think this is like twice that many, whatever that is. It's almost when children are arguing with each other and they say, well, this many, this many. And then the woman says infinity and the other one says infinity plus two. You know, there seems to be a way of saying that there is a number of troops. But the idea here is that if God is releasing a powerful force, this is a tremendous number, is it not? Mm -hmm. But one thing that we should understand, that it is a number. It is a number. Now, we have encountered this before in our understanding or in our translation of the apocalyptic <laughs> visions. Because remember when we saw and heard things about the Lord Jesus Christ? Someone, you know, John heard, Behold the, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, that's what he heard. But when he turned and looked, he saw a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So what is seen and what is heard sometimes are different, but they look at the very, and they give us the very same information about one person. 
And so when we hear John saying, I heard the number, but what did he see? We have this in this very same text and the very same verse or the next verse that we see. And so we can understand at the beginning of this chapter, there was smoke out of the bottomless pit and hordes of locusts came. Horde, numberless hordes of locusts coming out without number. And now we see a vision of war horses and the first, the locusts had war horses too. They were the war, the war horses. The locusts were horses with heads and tails. And now we see a vision with a number. And they have heads and tails doing the very same thing. But now they have riders upon them. Now they have riders upon them because we will see that we will look at the animals and then we'll see those who ride on them. What we have here is demonic influence upon unbelievers. Demonic influence upon unbelievers. And so this is something that we need to consider. Now, I have to tell you this. A lot of that is my speculation. That's what I think it means. I'm sorry, I have to say that. I cannot say this is absolutely what it means. But it would be my... Uh, I, I would not be living up to my obligation if I not try to tell you what I see. And so my warning is this. Oh, please search out the scriptures for yourself. Please read this for yourselves and pray for yourselves. But I say that this is something to behold. And please consider it. Verse number 17. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. Do you see the context? I heard a number, but this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those that rode them. They wore breastplates of color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. And so we see, he hears a number, but then he sees horses, just like the very first vision in this chapter, like locusts. He sees and he hears. Those that rode upon them, not the same, but the horses are quite unique in that they have come out of the darkness. They have come out of what cannot be understood correctly. They come out of false doctrine. And where did that come from? From teachers. From the tails, from the head. The heads are the leaders. The tails are the teachers. Remember that? And so, the riders are those that are inspired by the lies and false doctrines to cross over the boundaries into the kingdom of God. So don't just look at a map and say, there's the Euphrates River, and one day President Xi is going to bring his troops across to attack NATO. Please, you may want to not consider that for a while. Let's consider the fact that these are the powers of darkness that are inspired by Satan, and they want to attack the kingdom of God. These demons have been given permission to kill those um, who do not have God's seal on them. But the men riding on the war horses, you see, well, let me, let me put this a different way. The locusts did not have the right to kill anyone. Okay? But now we have the riders on top. Now we have men on top. Do you know who kills Christians? Other men. They put them in coliseums. They run them over cliffs. They boil their bones in oil. 
you read the history books. You see what has happened to God's people in the past. And trust me, if you read the history of the Dark Ages, what made them dark is what happened to Christians. That's what made them dark. The Dark Ages. You talk about a dark time in history. The 1,200 years of that time, it was a dark, dark time. Christians were literally boiled and eaten. I'm not going to get into it, but I'll put it this way. Some people speak of the Great Tribulation to come. What do you think they would say about the Great Tribulation? Do you think that, oh, it's going to be much worse for later on? No. It's always bad for the Christian. The Christian's life is a life of tribulation. But we have something that no one else has. The truth that they cannot touch our souls. They cannot touch us. That makes us brave. That makes us able to stand. That's what Paul says. Now that you know, stand. Verse number 18. By these three plagues, now we're talking about the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. That's coming out of the mouths of the lions that the writers are writing upon. These three plagues of mankind was killed by the fire, by the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. Now these three plagues are, they're like, they're like isolated, saying that these are not the three woes, but these are three plagues that actually come out of the visionary mouths of the lions that riders are riding upon. So I would say that these horses, we'll call them war horses, are enablers, enablers to those who do not believe in God, who do not believe God. They are waging war. And if we look at it symbolically, I would have to say that fire and smoke and sulfur, it sounds a lot like brimstone preaching to me. However, when it comes to them, it coming out of their mouths. I would say that the heads being the leadership of this world that's against God, they have the ability or the authority to have great power to proclaim what is to be done in this world. Presidents, emperors, leaders, Supreme Court justices, Congresses. These people have great powers, do they not? Even in our own country, we've had a Supreme Court over the past four or five decades that allowed millions of children to be murdered in the wombs of their own mother. That's authority. That's power. That's when the head speaks. And how does the head retain its power? Because those who have the ability to teach the children to obey this Teachers and leaders. There's fire. The smoke. This is again the great deceptions that are misleading the people. The sulfur. When the first thing I think of when I think of sulfur, it's also translated in the King James Version as brimstone. Brimstone. You know what I think of when I think of brimstone? The judgment of God coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. There's great deposits of brimstone around those places that used to have those cities and around the Dead Sea. Great deposits. You know where else you find deposits of brimstone? Around active volcanoes. 
where great thunderings and movements of earth are done. These are the symbolic ways that God says, I speak and the world shakes. And so there is these enablers of unbelievers to have this type of power over those who do not believe God. Verse number 19. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Remember the first half of this chapter where the locusts had tails that sting like serpents? Well, these now tails are now being described like serpents. And what does that bring to mind? You mean like the serpent that sent the entire human race into death? They speak lies about what God is able and wants to do for us? Hath God surely said this? He only said that because he knows that if you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you'll be like him. The very lies that came from Satan. Now all the tales of these war horses are like serpents spreading lies. They're being taught by the world, by churches even. They're being taught false doctrine to blind the minds of those who don't believe. And believe me, the scripture says this, they are taken captive by Satan at his will. And so what do you do, sinner? What do you do if some preacher tells you that you're being taken captive by Satan at his will? What do you do? If you are afraid of the fire, that you have been blinded by the smoke, that there is going to be hell and damnation to pay, then I strongly, strongly suggest, no, I say turn from the wrath to come. Because when you see the truth, I can tell you that there's nothing on this earth that can destroy you. Because you should not be afraid of the men that ride these things. Because they cannot destroy the soul. Only God can do that. Do not fear man. Fear God alone. Fear God. This is the message that we read in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That even though all heaven and hell, I mean, everything from hell comes out against a Christian. They cannot harm us in the eventual ultimate way. All the things that they can do to us only improve us. It only increases our faith. It only pleases our master more. It only enables us to walk by faith better. It is the crucible in which God puts us to refine our faith. All the evil that's brought against the people of God is designed for our good. For all things work together for the good of those who love God, even though it will crush you. And God, I mean, Satan attempts to sift you like wheat. But our Christ has prayed for us. Amen. He has us in his hand. The world is led by demonic influence. And there are bad leaders and there are bad teachers. There are heads that spew out the fire. There are tails that teach to follow that head. We have bad leaders and we have bad teachers these days. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Verse number 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up the worshiping of demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. 
Now, this is actually the zenith, the zenith and the high point of this particular vision. Why do I say that? Because, well, there's going to be a couple chapters more that are included in this particular vision. But what this is saying is that out of all of this, these men did not come to the realization that God is having mercy upon the world in the gospel. And they refused to believe. I can, I, I've told you this before, but I can remember when I was a very young boy going to a church. Uh, a neighbor took me to church and I went to Sunday school. And I listened and learned about the plagues of Egypt. And how the people of Israel refused to believe God in the wilderness. And I can remember the words in my head. How stupid can you be not to believe God after all that? And yet every single human being that draws breath today do not believe in all the things that God has done. Right now, they have no eyes to see, no ears to hear. Their hearts are biased against him. And yet every single one of us has had the hand of God so clearly revealed to us by the big book and by the little book, by creation and by this Bible. God has revealed it to them. So... We're going to go a little bit further, all right? I know it's noon. Don't even look at your watch. I'll tell you what time it is, okay? I want to go through the practical application, which I said I didn't have time last week, and this is the practical application. It is this. We can rest assured in the sovereign power and holiness of God to bring about His perfect plan of salvation to save the souls of repentant sinners. That's a big, long sentence, isn't it? Let me read it again, because I have to read it. It's so complex. We can rest assured in the sovereign power and holiness of God to bring about His perfect plan of salvation to save the souls of repented sinners. And this is something that we must rest upon. We must get this under our belts so that it becomes muscle memory to us, so that we can live our lives knowing that God is in control of, of all things. At the beginning of chapter 9, we saw how the power and authority was given to Satan with a key. And we know that this key only opens what God wants it to open. When we look at the second half, we see that freedom was given to four evil angels to allow an invasion of the kingdom of God. But what I want you to do now is to take that vision that we've been studying and look at it like a story. Now, some people think that this should be interpreted literally. I think it should be interpreted like it is, an apocalyptic vision. So, when it comes to a story, there are two things I want you to consider. The setting and the point of view. Okay? A story. You know, if you, if you were to look at a story and hear a story, setting and point of view are very important. The setting is this. The vision is taking place on the earth. The point of view is for those who dwell on the earth. And that's why we see what we see in the vision. This is what John is seeing from that setting and from that point of view. All those that dwell on the earth are actually in darkness. And all those that dwell on the earth are a part of the darkness. They are the darkness. There is authorities and there are gatekeepers of knowledge. In other words, leaders and teachers. And they work together to defeat the purposes of God. But we need to understand that all of their efforts are well within God's power. God 
can control. Now when I say can, I'm using that word can because can means ability. God can control everything. If I said God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is everywhere present, God never changes, we can understand those natural type of attributes, attributes because we know that that's power. That's power. He can do anything. But the real question is, a God who is holy and just and righteous, does God use sin to bring about his purposes? And I'm going to say yes. I want to have reasons for you. I'm going to say yes. And you may say to yourself, how can God do this? And now comes my speculation. Now comes what I think. And therefore, you have to be the judge. You have to be the judge. You have to know your Bible. You have to think for yourselves. I cannot believe for you, and I cannot reason for you. But I can tell you what I know is the truth, and I can tell you what I think is the truth also. And this is my speculation. Without the cross of Christ, God would punish all sin immediately and perfectly. I mean, without the cross of Christ, let's just pretend a little bit. Let's just say that there was no lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let's just pretend that for a minute. And then Adam sinned. You know what would happen? Instant, eternal hell. That's what would happen. That's my speculation. Why? Because it didn't happen that way. I don't like playing what-ifs when it comes to theology. What if this, what if that? We only have what is, what the scripture does say. But... Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, and therefore he has the authority to deal with sin. Now this is where you have to listen carefully. He can deal with sin in an optional way, other than just pure justice. Now he can deal with sin in mercy. Now Spurgeon said it this way, the cross is where justice and mercy embraces. And therefore God can do something differently with our sin, instead of immediate, permanent death. Consider this. When Adam fell into sin, something was really different in that there was no immediate death. Adam had children who inherit his sin. Now that is something that may have surprised the devil. Because the devil had no recourse when he sinned. The devil has no hope. And yet after Adam and all that is in him, because the creation went like this. He created man with seed. All the living things in this world has seed. We call them genes, I suppose. But the seed is within them. And when Adam fell, we fell. But it did not happen all at once. Why? Because God chose to have mercy. And when Adam... He looked and said, well, I, I guess I'm dead. No, well, he had children afterwards. Why? Because God wanted to have children, had, have mercy. Because God also had children who inherited what? Righteousness. Do you see the difference? Adam, his children inherited sin and condemnation. But the children of God inherits righteousness. Amen. Justification. Mercy. God now can deal with sin with mercy. When God created all things from the very beginning, from the very beginning, 
how the Word of God framed this world. And who is the Word of God? Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He framed this world. He is the one that has this. He, and I want to look at it this way. Some translations look at the very, very beginning that says that God, God's Spirit brooded over chaos. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that all-powerful, all-knowing, all-understanding God doesn't have to brood over anything. He doesn't have to say, let me figure this one out. No. He brooded over chaos. And what do you think he did with it? He made a plan to have mercy upon sinners. Now, let me tell you, brother, if you are here without Christ, God has made a plan for you. There is mercy. There is mercy. You must see it. You must understand it. You must take advantage of it. Because today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day of salvation. When God brooded over that, and he made his plans, and he made all things, he pronounced it good. Oh, behold, he pronounced it very good. Yes. He has all this so that you may rest in his almighty power. The work of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Come on to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. Now, the call of the gospel is to you. If you are here in need of salvation, oh man, you need to turn to God. Mm -hmm. You need to turn to Christ. Mm -hmm. Because the powers of the devil are pitted against this world in every array. They are destroying the souls of men. But the light of the gospel will save your soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would give grace to those who need grace, that you would have mercy upon those to whom you will have mercy, and may they have been brought by your hand. May you have brought them here to receive your grace and your gospel. We ask, Lord, that these things be done for your glory. But, Father, we know that you have been glorified in your mercy and your grace and your kindness to sinners. And we ask now that you would glorify yourself in the salvation of sinners. We pray this in our Lord's name.